The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. This is Tony from Sacramento, and I never listen to Idata with Dollamore, especially during the live streams, because usually when I get those emails telling me that they're on, I'm not prepared! The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dollamore. Alright everybody, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining us. Episode 653 of I Doubt It with Dollamore. I am your host, Jesse Dollamore. Joined today by the lovely, the talented, the scholarly, Brittany Page, everybody. Do you ever feel like... I feel like that all the time. Do you ever feel <laughs> like you're being watched? Oh. <laughs> well, I did last night, if that's what you're getting did, at. Wait, did you really feel like you were being watched no, last I, night? No, I did not. Okay. But so you it, just lied to me. We're well, starting it, the show off on a lie. That's great. Well, it's often how they start, is it not? Oh. Is it? No, it's not. Okay. Anyway, yeah. So, well, let's just we'll just tell the story, I guess. Well, so last night, Brittany and I went out to a delicious meal. Uh huh. At one of the two Ethiopian restaurants in Orange County, California. One of two. One of only two. Which is strange because we're in a very diverse area. Yeah. yeah. And there's all kinds of different types of cuisine here and it's shocking that there's only two yeah. Ethiopian restaurants well, in this we area. Also, we traveled <laughs> I'm I like to stay within five miles of home. Mm-hmm. We drove like 13 miles away in Anaheim. Yeah, typically much further than we're willing to go for <laughs> yeah. dinner. So mm-hmm. anyway we go in and do we want to talk about the whole experience? Like well, we've we never had it, it before. And it's super smoky in there from incense that's burning. Yeah, like it looks like it. they may have had a fire or something. That's yeah. how smoky it was. Until you smell it and you're like, oh, this is meant to be. Yes, uh, but we had never had Ethiopian before. And we're getting prepared for this trip to Washington, D.C. And everyone says, right, the best Ethiopian food that you'll find outside of Ethiopia is in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And so you kind of wanted to do like a test run, right? Yeah, because I didn't want to be the guy who's the spectacle. I I never want to be a spectacle. I guess that's my weird baggage that I carry around. Yeah. As much of a fucking spectacle as I am just by virtue of who I am, Mm -hmm. I I demure. I like to... I don't like to take up as much space as I can. Anyway, that's part of my my 
fucking freak out. Yeah. So we wanted to do a test run. That's why we went. And we run. we had watched videos on YouTube in advance oh, to fucking nerds to learn <laughs> how to eat the Ethiopian food because there are no utensils, right? For people yeah. who are unaware, there are no utensils. You use the the Ethiopian flatbread. Which is soft. It's it looks like a like a wet washcloth that's rolled into rolls, and you peel some away, and then use that as your your pinch of the food. Yes, to scoop up the food and yeah. eat it. So there were things I couldn't pronounce. It was one of those deals oh, where I yeah. at one point said, "We'll we'll take this thing right here," You're and just I pointed. Pointing, yeah, yeah, which I think people avoid going and having these experiences in restaurants that they wouldn't normally go to or eating things that they wouldn't normally eat because they're the the spectacle factor well they're afraid of that element of not knowing how to say something having people that are in there know that you're new at this that you that you're not familiar with it right and what happened was we finished eating and there was a couple sitting behind us and as we were packing up the food to go that we that we didn't finish she says to us, uh, was this your first time eating Ethiopian food? Yeah, immediately upon finish, we hadn't even got the boxes. Immediately upon finishing, she was watching so intently, so closely, that she asked right away, yeah. is this your first time? Yeah, and so you started talking to her, and then she said, well, how did you learn to eat it? Which was kind of a an odd question. And you paused. I don't even know if you were embarrassed by my response, but I was just like, we watched YouTube videos. <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't embarrassed. I'm glad you took over. And she was like, wow, okay. Like, impressed by how invested we were. Well, she, she was Ethiopian. Yeah. Yeah, and so she had... Apparently, we were doing it well enough. Although, I don't buy it because... Why would she think it's our first time if we're doing so great at it? Yeah. Well, whatever the case might be, she was like, this isn't the best one. Like, this isn't very, this wasn't great. Like, she was kind of shitting on the yeah, food a little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. So it was an interesting experience. And I. Am- but it was weird in retrospect knowing that she was sitting there eyeballing us the whole fucking time. Yes. Yeah. Ho- we hopefully were, not the whole time. We're sitting close enough that our conversation. Probably was listened to as well. Yeah. Well, good <laughs> Which times. Which isn't, isn't a bad thing. It's not like we are shitting on the place. Yeah. Yeah. Fuck but this place. It, but was, it was good. Yeah, it was a good experience. We're happy that we tried it. We enjoyed the food and... We may or may not try it again in D.C. Yeah. We'll, we'll see what happens. But we are looking forward to that trip as well. You... Just got a new computer situation. Your oh, your yeah. uh, laptop, from which you do all of your YouTube and podcasting work. Yeah, everything died. Yeah, uh, it, it it is still operational, but it wasn't going to handle the the processing load of of producing a podcast and editing video right you know on a just it was done it was it was an old well and it became very apparent because we we put the first video podcast of the year up yeah and there was some sort of issue where the file was corrupted and you got to a certain point and the the video was like skipping and i didn't know it because i skip around after i export it to see i don't want to get totally in the weeds but to make sure it's good and look good to me so i put it up and then oh no not good. Yeah. So you had to take that down because yeah. it was it was not good. But that that was also a reminder that hey, it's time to 
to get a new setup. So I think you have a better setup now. It took some time to install all the programs back on yeah. the computer and go through all that. But... That, that explains our mild, slight delay mm-hmm. getting back. So after this episode, we're back on track, two episodes a week, mm-hmm. back at the grind. Yeah, well, I'm happy that you were able to to get back on track with that. It's never fun when your computer goes south. No, mm-hmm. no. And we were just talking about that. That's why we got that mystery um, hacker drive. <laughs> right. Yeah. From North Korea. <laughs> no one fessed up, by the way. We still don't know who sent that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, what are you going to do? Mm-hmm. So anyway, we're back. Thank you guys for joining us. Thank you for your loyalty and your listenership. Speaking of loyalty and listenership, we we admonish the audience to call in with their questions and comments and disagreements and before we read some listener emails i'm going to drop the phone number and the email address 657-464-7609 of course you can always email a regular email or a voice memo from your smartphone to i doubt it at dollamore.com hello jesse and Brittany. i hope both of you are doing well and that popeye is doing better See, I don't even remember what we talked about being wrong with Popeye because so much is wrong with him all that the time. That is right. <laughs> he just had an appointment yesterday. Yes, he did. Thank you for bringing up the story of Santore Thomas in episode 652. I would only like to add that your listeners need to read about his story in the Detroit Free Press and BuzzFeedNews.com. Uh, this is the story of the gentleman who was cashing his racial discrimination settlement check at a bank. And was racially profiled and discriminated against in the process. And so uh, he likely has another lawsuit on his hands. That's what we're talking about here. Right. He continues, Jesse, you did miss the chance to contrast your white privilege take on how you would react in Mr. Thomas's situation to how he had to react. From the BuzzFeedNews.com interview with Mr. Thomas, quote, I didn't give them any type of indication that I was getting upset, he said. I wanted to make sure I stayed as level-headed as possible because I wasn't going to be the next person on the ground saying I can't breathe. In that, yeah. in that same story, a spokesperson for the TCF bank also gives out the amount of the checks Mr. Thomas was trying to deposit and cash, as well as Mr. Thomas's bank balance. Besides the discrimination suit, Mr. Thomas should now have an additional suit for invasion of privacy. One last point, the police claim that Mr. Thomas was never detained, with two cops questioning him and two waiting outside. How can Mr. Thomas not believe that he was detained? Thank you both for another great episode, and Brittany is the best part. Brittany is the the best part. Love the show. Brittany's the best part. Bye. Had to had to find the clip. I got a new setup here, so. So I think what that was Reggie, by the way. Thank you, Reggie. Thanks, Reggie. And I think what Reggie is referring to there is how sometimes when we talk about these stories, you you naturally get fired up. Right. And you kind of put yourself in that situation and you imagine, which I think is great. It's good to do how you would respond in that situation, because it forces you to grapple with the reality that people have to live with every day. Right. And you kind of do like a thought experiment of how would I react in that situation? Right. But one thing that we also need to make sure and I'm appreciate that I appreciate that Reggie brought this up is to make space for a conversation surrounding why people can't react in the way that you would Jesse, right? Which is typically you're saying I wouldn't, I would go off, right? I would be pissed off. Well, the reason I do that is because I I want people to, to think to themselves, 
If you were being treated like that, you would be fucking outraged. So why not impart some of that outrage on behalf of this guy? Mm-hmm. But certainly he's right that I have the privilege to freak out in a bank and get a little testy and not worry about the cops being called and me getting choked to death or shot. Mm-hmm. That's that's not a reality that would that would befall me. Right. But it absolutely is something that... that uh, this gentleman would would have to keep in at the, the forefront of his thought. Right. Yeah. Right. Having to keep those very reasonable emotions that would arise in that situation yeah. when you're being mistreated, ke- having to keep those in check, which is just so unfair on top of what is already happening. Yeah. Right. Thank you, Reggie. Good points for sure. So we got another email and this one is going to be anonymous. Hey guys, my career has been in the fraud and anti-money laundering space for a financial institution, so I thought I'd offer some color commentary on the matter of the bank customer who was profiled. Short of not knowing that particular bank's suspicious activities policy, which all banks are federally required to have as they relate to the Bank Secrecy Act, there are a number of things I found concerning with how the situation was handled. Generally, unless the bank associate thinks there is an immediate danger to someone, there should be procedures in place for escalating suspicious activity to the bank's compliance department, who would take a more thorough look at the situation and make a determination to report to law enforcement. While there are certainly identifiers to look for on checks that are red flags, I'm not aware of any particular software at the branch level that can look at a check and tell you it's counterfeit unless the routing number didn't tie back to a real bank. On its face, I don't buy that story from the bank. Finally, the associate also could have simply placed a hold on the check to ensure the funds would clear before being released to the customer, which is a good practice anyway for larger dollar checks. I do hope you'll continue to follow this as I'm quite curious of the outcome. Yes, I think we're... We need to develop some kind of a system where we can um, visit back on stories like this, whether it be a reminder or something. But I, I, I really do. There, there are oftentimes we follow cases of, especially in this arena where people are being uh, mistreated, whether it be um, civil rights issues, whether it be color or uh, sexuality Mm-hmm. gender discrimination. Mm-hmm. I, those are things that are important. So I remember I worked at a bank and it, I worked with some truly heinous individuals at this bank and I don't, I don't know anything about banking. So I'm always happy when someone who works in the field, right, or has expertise that we don't writes in or calls in with their commentary on specific stories. But I remember the manager, I can't remember what type of manager, she wasn't the branch manager, but she was some type of, in some type of management role. She had bestowed upon her some kind of authority. Yes, which was very unfortunate in this case. Um, There was always this lower income family that would come and cash their government check every month. And they had an account there and they, they typically didn't want to deposit. They just wanted to cash it. Right. Like many people probably live in paycheck to paycheck or they need the money. Right. And the manager would come over and say, like, you need to put some of this in the account. Like, we can't just keep cashing this and giving it. Like, you need to put some of it in this account. And I always thought, I don't I don't think she should be, like, saying that. That's not a thing that needs to happen. That's not right? her purview. But I was 18. What am I supposed to say? I don't know what's going on. So 
It, hey, bitch! And elbow right in the throat. That that did not happen. Uh, <laughs> don't recommend that. Why are you changing the story? The way I've always heard it okay. is the old karate chop to the throat. Right. So, <laughs> so that was an interesting experience. I didn't work there for very long. But I always wonder, be, because of that experience, how often people kind of do this right either yeah. either to people of color or to people that are low income right just doing little things that make people feel other when they come yeah. through yeah you know what i mean them. yeah 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 marginalizing them right that's exactly what that is yeah I, I, banking is historically just a skeevy profession because of the things they've done whether it be you know financing slavery to even you know redlining so many evils that have been perpetrated on mankind come from banking not great even today fuck Jamie goddamn diamond mm -hmm. in his you know question and answer battles with with uh, the congresswoman here our, mm -hmm. our neighboring uh, uh, Katie Porter mm -hmm. anyway we could do an entire episode on that particular thing. <laughs> Thank you, Anonymous, for your expertise and your email. We appreciate it. Yeah. And so we have another Anonymous email that I'm going to read here. And we haven't read Anonymous emails for a while, so it's always good to, to let everyone know. People are sometimes afraid to communicate with us because they don't want their name attached to whatever they might say. Yeah. And that's totally fair, right? We get that especially Jesse, I would say, right? Because of the death threats that have been specifically sure. targeted toward you. You yeah, understand yeah. how scary it can be sometimes to think in public and put your name on it and then get some of those responses and reactions yeah. to it. it. It can be nerve wracking. So that's always an option. If you feel like you want to sound off, but you are uncomfortable putting your identity with it, in the email, just say, please keep this anonymous. You can and trust us to keep your identity secret. Yeah, and we will do that for you. Okay? We've done it for years, and we continue to do that. That is a, that is an oath, a, a bond, a, a promise we make to you in the audience that we'll, we'll maintain that, that uh, anon anonymity. Yes. No, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> so this is an email responding to... You remember when I went on that little complaint... I went on a little rant complaining about how there's not enough time in the day to like moisturize and read all the things I want to read and do the work I have to do. And this is like a common complaint you have. Yeah. So anyway. I hear this all the time. I don't remember the specific moment on the show. Well, someone wrote in with some very good advice. Hi, Brittany. Just a response to high expectations for yourself. What I have found thus far in life. Number one. Really important to show yourself compassion and understanding, as you said, realistic expectations. Number two, try procrastination and use it to learn to prioritize. It gives a good perspective on what is important and not important. You'd be surprised how many things are irrelevant or that don't change how well you do. For example, in a workplace setting, if you miss an important email, you'll get a reminder. The rest can usually be looked at when and if you get time. You learn to prioritize and ignore the irrelevant or less important. Number three, prioritize what gives you most balance, meaning, and joy in your life. Accept ahead of time that maybe you'll make certain people annoyed by doing or not doing certain things. You can't satisfy everyone. You are the only person you have to live with all of your life. Refer to number one. I like that. You're the only one you have to live with all the time. 
Yes. That's awesome. And then the emailer continues, unfortunately, the less privileged and less educated, the less choice and more pressure to do everything correctly and larger consequences for not doing something correctly and timely. So this is kind of privilege, privileged advice. So I really loved all these tips. And you say that I say that a lot. That makes it sound like I'm complaining all the no, time. No, I, yeah, I, I make it a joke. But it is, it, it, I think it's, it seems to me to be something that's on your mind a lot. You wish you had more time. There's so many things you want to do, so many books you want to read. And you just, it's not, the, the physics don't allow it. Mm-hmm. You know, there's not enough time. You don't have enough energy. You need to clone yourself and somehow create some mind link between you and your clone so you can, you know, also enjoy the the learning and the whatever. See, this is just adding more work to my plate and <laughs> I don't have time to do all that. No, I, I appreciate all of that advice. Really good advice. Really true. And this really, I think the conversation that we were having was about New Year's resolutions. And that was mine was to be more patient with myself. Mm. So that's the goal. I feel like I'm doing okay with it. And I'll let you know in December. Yes. (laughs) Fantastic. Yes. So there's a poll that I want to talk about that you you brought to my attention. You drew my attention to. And uh, it's from Seven News and Emerson College polling. Why? We never get any more pew. Pew pew. pew 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 pew. We're just gonna play pew, 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 pew every time polling comes up. The data was collected on this from January twenty first to twenty third, and it's based on four hundred and ninety seven people, which isn't as much as not the, a giant sample. Not not as much as other polls tend to be. I think, but this was the question: Will you vote for the Democratic nominee? Even if it is not your candidate. Okay. Right, and then so, it says slash candidate supporters. So, I'm, so the, the, kind of the getting to the are you going to vote blue no matter who? Or are you going to either not vote or maybe vote for Donald Trump if you, if your can if your guy or gal doesn't make it to the, to the general election? Right. So they broke it down between Biden supporters, Sanders supporters, Warren supporters, Buttigieg supporters, Yang supporters, and Bloomberg supporters. And yeah, because he's a thing. Yeah. And the candidate with the largest no from their supporters is Andrew Yang. So 42% yeah. of Andrew Yang supporters said no, they will not vote for the Democratic nominee. How many? 42%. Wow. That is a. That is a massive percentage, according to this poll, mm-hmm. uh, of one candidate who is doing well. Right. 42% of his supporters, according to this poll, are saying, if our guy doesn't get the nomination, which, by the way, boys and girls, isn't fucking likely, right. we're not going to vote. We're not going to vote for the Democratic nominee. Right. Yeah. Whoever that person ends up being. Because it's not Andrew Yang. <laughs> the second highest. <laughs> that is that is arrogant. And and just it just drips of privilege. Coming in second is Bernie Sanders supporters. Sixteen percent said no, they will not vote for the Democratic nominee if it's not Bernie Sanders. Coming in second, but but it, that's a far cry. Sixteen percent. Sixteen percent's not good. 
But 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 it's not forty two percent. So here's the thing, though: the answers here aren't yes, no. They're yes, no, and depends on nominee. And Bernie Sanders supporters, thirty one percent said depends on the nominee. Oh, right. So fifty three percent of Sanders supporters said yes, we'll vote for the Democratic nominee, even even if it's not Bernie. Right. Right. Fifty three percent. But you have thirty one percent saying, well, it depends on the candidate. I understand. I mean, it doesn't surprise me that Andrew Yang supporters would be that type. And I'm not saying, like, if you're out there and you're listening, you're like, hey, fuck you. I'm not one of them. I'm not saying that. But I've encountered a lot of Andrew Yang supporters who are like, oh, yeah, my top two were um, Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang or the other way around. And it, it seems to me, in my experience, that a lot of Yang supporters come from that kind of wing of the of, of, of politics that they just want a newcomer to shake things up. The same type of people in this way that voted for Donald Trump, and that's really what they prize. The reason I say this is dripping with privilege, but did you get to Warren? What's Warren? So Warren supporters, 90% say yes. Okay. They will support the Democratic nominee. They don't give a number for the no so I'm, it might be within within the margin of error there. Mm-hmm. And then 10% say it depends on the candidate. Yeah. So Warren actually has the highest percentage here that are saying, yes, they'll yeah. vote for whoever the Democratic nominee is, even if it's not her. So let me explain what I mean by this is dripping with privilege. You're in a pretty solid space if it doesn't matter to you that Donald Trump gets reelected. You don't have to worry about Medicaid being cut and having to p- find uh, another source of pain for your for your medical bills or not finding it and then going bankrupt and maybe becoming homeless or whatever else might befall you because of that. If you're one of these people who's not going to vote for whoever the fucking Democratic nominee is, you don't care that Trump will will win again, might win again, and will continue to separate children at the border, have them die in custody. There's privilege in that. Well, even recognizing how he's adding more countries to the list where yeah. he's banning travel, right? So that people can't freely move about or yeah. escape terrible situations that they happen to be in, right? It's more than the issues that the United States is facing too, right? It's yeah. it's everywhere. It's yeah. everyone. And I I appreciate what you're saying too, because there will be people who listen to this and say, yeah, but the injustice of the DNC and we can't keep rewarding bad behavior and all all of that, right? Tell that to the fucking hungry kids who are going to have their SNAP benefits cut and then they, they're going to be malnourished and have a more miserable existence than they already fucking have. Yeah, and it's like point taken. Tell them about the DNC. Yeah, point taken about the DNC concerns, and we're going to be talking a little bit later in the show about the DNC, but come on now, right? The only goal here should be uh, getting Donald Trump out of office, and really all of these candidates on this list need to be working to make those no percentages and depends on the nominee percentages zero. Yeah, they need to be working to ensure that their supporters will be willing 
to vote for someone that is not them if they don't win the nomination. That needs to be something that they drill into their base. Yes. Without a doubt. And by the way, this this week or this last week in the last few days, Biden was asked this question and couldn't fucking bring himself, couldn't find it within him to just say, yes, if Bernie Sanders gets the nomination, I absolutely, unequivocally, 100% will support him and vote for him if he's the nominee. He couldn't do it. Which is which is absurd. It's fucking Trumpian is what it is. Yeah. And I mean, now there's this story coming out that John Kerry has been overheard discussing a possible 2020 bid. Uh, because, are you kidding me? Because he's concerned about Bernie Sanders taking down the de- Democratic Party. Right. Taking it down or or lifting it up. Right. Can these people not learn lessons or what? I don't. Uh, can you not look back to the Sanders Clinton debacle from yes. 2016 and learn some lessons there? Like I don't understand. Do they? I mean, is this privilege? Is this their privilege coming through, where they don't understand how serious this is? Whoever the candidate is that can rally enough people, that's the person that you should be supporting. It's the privilege of self-importance. Is what it is. Mm -hmm. John Kerry, who, by the way, is a fucking thinks he's goddamn royalty walking around the Capitol when he was in the United States Senate. I have firsthand encountered his highness, Jonathan Kerry, in the basement of the Capitol, cutting in line while we're staffers and lowly fucking people are trying to get lunch. And he's cutting in line because I'm a senator. Fuck you. Mm -hmm. Go away. Get the fuck out of here. Go retire and walk through the woods. Go join Hillary Clinton on her walks in the woods, John Kerry. Ah! Well, fired up. Well, and also he is married to Teresa Hines of Hines Hines Ketchup. Yeah. Excuse me, Teresa. Did not know that. Sorry. Okay. It's fancy. Yeah. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> en- enough enough with the people who are so disconnected from the reality yes. that everyday Americans are living with day to day, right? You have Heinz money. I don't want to hear from you. Shut up, shut up, shut up, shut up. You can go away and yeah. let us have conversations about how to better address poverty. Please, for the Just love of when, God. When is the, the, the glut of new candidates in the Democratic primary going to stop? I mean, at what <laughs> yeah. point is it ridiculous to consider joining? Well, the Iowa caucuses are month or today for you if you're listening to this right. or unless February, you jump right on the show when it comes out. February 3rd. Yes. Right. So get the fuck out of here. You're not joining the race. You know what? The week before the convention? Hey, everybody. Yeah. Joining the the Democratic primary. Yeah. Get the fuck out of here. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I feel like, yeah, you need to do some deep breathing exercises now after that. That got you a little bit more fired up than I think you were intending. Makes me mad. Yeah. I don't know if you noticed. (laughs) Makes me a little mad. I did notice that. All right. Yeah. Moving on. So I wanted to talk about an interview that I heard on my favorite podcast, which is on the media. How dare you? <laughs> how, how fucking dare you? How dare and you, sir? I hope that I say this name right. I don't remember how to say the name, but Etan Hirsch, E 
E I T A N Hirsch. Is that how you would say? I don't know. Eaton, maybe. Yeah. Um, he wrote an article in the Atlantic College educated voters are ruining American politics. Political hobbyism is to public affairs what watching Sports Center is to playing football. Hmm. And he uses this phrase, political hobbyism. And I, I really liked the interview and this article in The Atlantic because he's talking about primarily college-educated white people who are avid news consumers. They know the latest goings-on. They know all about Robert Mueller. They got a fiery Twitter account, probably. They do. Yeah. Is that one of the, one of the criteria? No, not necessarily. Oh, yeah. But yeah, being invested, scrolling through the timeline, having discussions and debates with people in their lives. And that doesn't extend into actual action in the community, right? And so he calls this political hobbyism, this being in the know about politics, right? Uh, Consuming the news, having discussions about politics in the news, contemplating politics, but not actually like volunteering for organizations or attending meetings from your representative, not actually doing the advocacy work that is required in creating political change not putting in the sweat not not uh given of the of the actual time it's it's like political slacktivism yeah exactly yeah and i wanted to talk about it number one because i feel like well i could for sure do better at this right i mean we go to meetings for our representative we we do that stuff right we we have it on the show <laughs> um we host a podcast yeah we host a podcast hundreds of episodes hundreds of hours of video on youtube i think we're doing more than hobbyists i think i mean listen i'm not saying that we're hobbyists i didn't oh. i didn't say that but i'm saying that i feel like we could do more i could do more and i'm not going to speak for you i do feel like i could do more and i know you're passionate about and you've been very interested in like the poor people's campaign mm-hmm Right. That that's something I wouldn't mind getting involved with. Yeah, I'm I I very much am passionate about the poor people's campaign and some of my interest right comes from my my work as a therapist and having worked in low income clinics and yeah. working in low income clinics for uh, free during periods of time, right? Um, but also, I just pro bono. I feel work. like I feel like I can do more, right? Aside from all that, I feel like I can do more, and I want to push everybody else to do more, right? Figure out how they can get involved. And so, what I want to hear from the listeners is how how they're involved, right? What do they feel like they're doing that extends beyond just watching the circus? Right, yeah, that, that yeah. is playing out before our eyes. I thought you meant the Showtime show. No, it's a good show, though. <laughs> uh, and I also, I want to encourage the audience to be on guard for increasing political hobbyism as the campaign gets more insane. And what I'm specifically referring to is this Donald Trump-Michael Bloomberg battle that's going on here. Oh, yeah. Come on. Because Donald Trump talked about Michael Bloomberg wanting a box to stand on or something because he's talking about how he's short. That's the point of it is to talk about the fact that that Michael Bloomberg is a a shorter guy. Mm -hmm. Five foot five or five foot four or something. Uh, Google says he's five eight. Oh, I don't think that's. I don't know. I don't. I've never been next to him, so I don't know. But yeah, I'm just I'm telling you what he said. Anyway, what Google so, says. so Donald Trump is just trying to be a jackass, right. trying to be a bully, right? And bring this up, claiming that um, 
Bloomberg is is requiring a a a step stool or a box to stand on during the debate. Right. And Michael Bloomberg's spokesperson responded to this by saying that Donald Trump is a pathological liar. He lies about his hair, his obesity and his fake spray tan. Right. Just come on. And I'm I read this statement and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, it, is this where we want all this to go? I mean, this this stuff is serious, you know, yeah. and I just I don't want this to turn into a like a wrestling match, you know, where everyone's watching and like excited that they're getting a jab in on the guy that they hate and vice versa. I mean, it's just I'm afraid for how it's going to go down. Yeah, I'm on further reflection here, thinking about the candidates who have moved me at one point or another during this campaign. None of them get mixed up in this name-calling, tit-for-tat bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, starting with early on, I was impressed with Pete Buttigieg, since, since not so much. But he doesn't do that. He keeps it, keeps it high. Mm-hmm. Um, Cory Booker absolutely doesn't play those fucking games. Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, they don't do this. Joe Biden does. Joe Biden's, I'm going to take him behind the schoolhouse and teach him a lesson. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, he's a tough guy. Like, Trump's a fucking tough guy. These, yeah. these, what is it, septagenarians? These 70, in their mid-70s, talking about kicking ass and taking names. Get the fuck out of here. Well, and talking about Joe Biden, you, I know you saw this video where he was confronted by a constituent who said that they who had... was kindly addressed... By a constituent. Right. He, had, he was not confronted. I'm right. sorry. Did I say confronted? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was, He yeah, kindly questioned. Yeah. By... <laughs> he really was. It was not a confrontation. Yeah. So thank you for correcting me. When I think of confrontation, I think of like a fun little game that's happening. I don't <laughs> think it's serious. So he was asking Joe Biden about climate change and his positions on climate change. Pipelines. Pipelines. Challenging yeah. him a little bit. And... Joe Biden quickly loses his patience listening to this man speak. He says, go vote for somebody else, man. Right. And just cuts him off and starts touching him in the chest, like poking him in the chest and then grabbing his vest that he's wearing and like pulling it tight across his chest. Clearly encroaching upon this gentleman's space, who was also an older guy. I mean, you're putting your hands on somebody. More than getting in his personal, you were touching him. Yes. You're grabbing his clothing in an aggressive, like we all know what you're doing there. You're trying to like man up on him. Right. And we we can't have people who are acting like this. Well, think about this. Think about this. God damn it. What if Donald Trump had a voter come up to him and confront or kindly address something to him? And then <laughs> Donald Trump started putting his hands on him and tapping him in the chest or backhanding him in the chest, grabbing him by the jacket. People would lose their fucking minds. Democrats would be calling for criminal charges because of assault. But because it's old Uncle Joe, it's okay. No. No. You don't get to put your fucking hands on somebody. It's not folksy. 
It's intimidation. That's what he's doing. Anyway, we, I'm going off the rails here, but yeah, not but, not appreciative of it, if you could tell. Yeah. So just going back to the the points, political hobbyism. Oh, yeah, what was the point? We don't <laughs> we don't want this to be a hobby, something that we are disconnected from in terms of the reality of the situation for people that actually are facing discrimination, that are living in poverty, that are being oppressed. Right? There are. There are lives at stake in, Real in these consequences. issues, right? Real life consequences, and it's more than ha ha. I like the candidate who's making fun of the spray tan. Ha ha. I like the little insult, petty insults that are going back and forth. We really should not get caught up in all that, yeah. and and try our best to focus on what's important here and how people's lives are going to be infected affected by the actions that we take or don't take. Well, let, let me say this. Because I certainly call the names and point out uh, the the orange and the yeah you know, I'm a fucking that's what I do, but I, you, but you better be fucking balancing it with some real action. Yeah, if and, you're doing it, I and yeah, I think it's fine for people to do that, right? I'm drawing a distinction between <laughs> our leaders, our candidates. Yes, that, okay, yeah, yes, yeah. because then it turns into the circus. I'm not a leader, and I, I <laughs> well, I think that you are, and I think that there could be a case that that could be made there for how you maybe shouldn't use the I don't know, but I'm not making that case right now. Okay, I'm I'm in the infotainment business. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I'm not. I know. Anyway. Don't turn this around on you. I'm, I'm not, not talking about you. I'm talking about Michael Bloomberg and whoever else may be tempted to engage in the petty drama and turn this into a reality show when that's not what this is. Oh, look what happened to Marco Rubio during the, the primary last in 2016 when he pulled that bullshit. It's not going to work mm-hmm. on Trump. Yeah. You're not going to convince any of his toothless maniac followers. Donald Trump, baby! That guy's not going to be like, oh, Jesus, Joe Biden got a, he got a zinger in. I'm going to follow that guy, you know? Yeah, it's it's just going to go nowhere fast. So be be on guard for that, but also think about how your political interest can go above and beyond just casual observing and yes. how we can actually take meaningful actions that ensure that we're getting involved in the community level to improve people's lives. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, we'd love to hear from you about any of this, all of this. Uh, questions, comments, dissent. We welcome it all. 657 464 7609. Of course, you can always email an email or a voice memo from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Support for I Doubt It with Dollamore comes from generous, engaged, intelligent, and good looking listeners like you by way of Patreon. Your support on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month helps keep the show going and move the conversation forward one podcast at a time. If you would like to join the ever-growing family of supporters, please visit patreon.com slash I doubt it with Dollamore. Before we thank the new Patreon supporters, I want to say that we are doing an Ask Me Anything episode in AMA, which will be Patreon supporters only. And go check your messages because that's where you're going to send us the question for the episode is on the the Patreon message where we asked for those questions. We haven't gotten a ton. We've gotten some, but we want to make sure everyone has the opportunity to see that message and send us a question that they would want answered. Every single tier is qualified for the Patreon AMA. Right. Every single tier. So it went out to everyone. If for some reason you didn't receive it, just reach out to me. Let me know. 
idoubt it at dollamore.com and we'll get that fixed or you can just submit the questions through there. That's fine. Okay. Let's thank these new Patreon supporters. Also, uh, uh, with that, it's not just for past Patreon supporters. If if you want to get in on the AMA, become a Patreon supporter, and then all of that becomes available to you. And you can just send the question in and we'll... uh, Yeah, and I think this is our second AMA. Yeah, it is our second. That's right. Or or our third AMA, maybe. Do we do two already? I, I don't know. But anyway, that should be... Uh, something that you can access too when you become That's a right. Patreon supporter. Yeah. yeah, every Patreon only, which hasn't been a ton because the way we do the Patreon is different than others. We look at this as our Patreon supporters are helping to produce the show right. for those who aren't in a financial position to right. become supporters. But uh, there are a few things that we do th- only Patreon. Patreon only. Yes. Yeah. So thank you to Andrew. Andrew. Pavel. Pavel. If I said that wrong, just send a message in and correct me. Pavel. Pavel. Either one. Okay. Dr. Jones. Dr. Jones. And Blizzard Fingers 35 guy. Blizzard Fingers 35. Guy. Guy. Blizzard Fingers 35 guy? That is what the name says. All right. So we read the name as it's written. Good times. Thank you to each and every one of you for, like Jesse said, helping us produce the show and getting it out there for other people. Also, thank you for helping to uh, offset the costs that are incurred when we have to like replace equipment yeah, no like shit. the computer. It's a, it's a big deal. Yes. So that, that was very helpful. I don't know how old your laptop was, but pretty old, I think. Yeah, four or five years. Well, listen, if you find value in what we do, that's really kind of the benchmark that I look for. If you're finding value in what we do, if we make you laugh or if we inform you, if you appreciate what we do, any of that, please consider becoming a Patreon supporter and helping to produce this show. You're taking an active role in getting this message out. Whether you agree or not, this is a platform for you as well to amplify your voice and your opinion. We've for for years and years that has been a stated goal and mission and objective of this program is to help you also get your opinion on the record. So thank you very much. You can also um make Jeff Bezos a little richer. Well, I also want to talk about that because <laughs> so we get a little bit back when you use the dollamore.com slash Amazon link. But after all of the terrible reports that have come out as a result of like the fantastic reporting of ProPublica, Washington Post, other places that have gone into the hellhole that is Amazon and that company. Yeah, people dying, people having uh, medical issues, people having miscarriages on the floor of the, their warehouses. The drivers getting into crashes, yeah. trying to meet deadlines for deliveries, all of that stuff. We started getting giving a warning before Informed consent before we promoted the the amazon.com link and we're essentially making no money off that now <laughs> <laughs> well what do we we'll, let's give a number i think we made 20 dollars from amazon this month it's the lowest we've ever <laughs> it's the lowest we've ever ever made well we're fucking ourselves but you know what we want to be able to sleep at night. Yes. So, so we're not mad about it, but we thought it was funny yeah. that we have yeah. been talking about it so much that it, I think it's having an effect. So that's kind of good. I mean, it, 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 it 
you know well that's why we started doing we it. would rather we would rather have a clean conscience about it but if you're gonna shop with amazon yeah we no judgments aside from everything that we already just said we shop on amazon too and we, we do. feel terrible about it we do <laughs> we really do we had a conversation today about it we did anyway yeah Anyway, we love you guys. Thank you for all of your support, all of your loyalty, all of your listenership. It means the world to us, and it really does. Every little bit goes a long way when uh, when you marshal the size of the, the audience that we're blessed to have. All right. Moving on. Dilemocracy. Facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. So breaking news, the Senate has voted and he's going to be removed and it's so great and everything. Yeah, we know that didn't happen. (laughs) But Wednesday, we were hopeful, right? Yeah, we were hopeful. Well, I think there was there was a a hope to be held out for. But then late on Friday night, uh, Lamar Alexander, the fucking coward senator from the state of Tennessee, uh, announced that eh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna vote for witnesses. Mm-hmm. Lisa Murkowski that night also, yeah, I'm not also gonna vote for witnesses. So ultimately, it only left two Republicans willing to vote for witnesses and evidence, and that was Susan Collins and Mitt Romney from Utah. Yeah. So, and also this is also what developed. There's only a couple things I want to talk about here. This argument from the Trump team. Went like every other one. It's nothing was wrong, perfect call. That went from no quid pro quo. That's what it went to after after perfect call. And then, okay, yeah, it was a a quid pro quo, but it had to do with legitimate diplomatic foreign policy interests of the United States of America. And then it was, well, um, yeah, it was a quid pro quo and it wasn't about foreign policy, but it's not impeachable. And then we then we get in, in, into the trial and Alan Dershowitz makes this fucking argument that it's not impeachable, but even if it was he did this and and uh he can't he can't be impeached for it because his reelection his personal advancement being reelected as president is in the national interest. If if he believes that his reelection is in the national interest, right. then it can't be a wrong action because he's taking it on behalf of the country. Yeah, fucking nonsense. Listen to Alan Dershowitz, the accused child molester, friend of Jeffrey Epstein, who allegedly got massages in his underwear, quote-unquote, at the home. That's not even allegedly. That's He admits to getting massages at Jeffrey Epstein's home in his underwear. The only thing that would make a quid pro quo unlawful is if the quo were in some way illegal. Now, we talked about motive. There are three possible motives that a political figure can have. One a motive in the public interest, and the Israel argument would be in the public interest. The second is in his own political interest, and the third, which hasn't been mentioned, would be in his own financial interest, his own pure financial interest, just putting money in the, in the bank. I want to focus on the second one for just one moment. 
Every public official that I know believes that his election is in the public interest. And mostly you're right. Your election is in the public interest. And if a president does something which he believes will help him get elected in the public interest, that cannot be the kind of quid pro quo that results in impeachment. So this is why people have certain opinions of attorneys sometimes. Yeah, this is why people fucking hate skeevy lawyers. That's another way to put what I said. <laughs> God damn. I it's it's pretty remarkable and I as this argument was being said out of the mouth hole of Alan Dershowitz. <laughs> it was just popping off all over Twitter oh, and yeah. people were like, "Are we kidding right now? Is this actually What's happening? Is he is he fucking listening to himself right now? <laughs> That's what people were saying. See, this is something you found all of these drops from the past. Oh yeah, that is the other thing that reorganizing everything, down, re-downloading all of my my little programs that that I have a board of all these sounds. I did. You're a fucking doctor, bro. Okay, bro, don't come at me. Hey, <laughs> fuckers, I'm trying to talk here. Okay, is he? Is he fucking listening to himself right oh. now look at you with your fucking jokes <laughs> i'm not prepared oh, no! what now. are you doing you- all in one spot for the audience's laughter and edification great good times i appreciate that yeah so this th- this was something that i think everyone was surprised by right that he actually went there with yeah. his argument right right and alan dershowitz was being interviewed every day on CNN before this. And so this was kind of like a bomb that he dropped, right? His like huge argument, his fantastic argument that... There's just no fucking shame, these guys. That apparently a lot of people bought, right? Well, this guy. Donald Trump, baby! He, that, it is in the national interest, y'all! Come on! Yee-haw! Donald Trump! What is that? I do not know. Is is that uh, drop corrupted? Listen, <laughs> it's a work in progress, Brittany Page. Okay, getting everything figured out. Yeah, just, anyway, just getting back on. So your this feet. is just fucking nonsense. And the other thing that really struck me with this is, well, one, Lamar Alexander. And Marco Rubio both released statements. I haven't read every statement from every Republican senator, but these two gentlemen, for sure, gentlemen, let's, you know, little generous there. Mm-hmm. They both admitted they believe the House manager's case. They believe that Donald Trump actually did the things that are alleged. But they're going to acquit. We're going to talk about that in a second. But the other thing is this complete different reality that was put out there by Fox News. If you watched MSNBC, if you watched C-SPAN, obviously, and if you watched CNN, you got a fulsome understanding of both sides of the arguments from both the president's lawyers, cringe when I call him the president, Donald Trump's fucking lawyers, and the house managers. But it was a different thing if you watched Fox News. And here's Oliver Darcy talking to Brian Stelter on CNN about it. 
It does seem that the, the wall's just getting, you know, stronger and stronger. The, the Fox sure. firewall is holding very strongly. Yeah, and they're trying to inoculate their audience from the arguments from the Democrats, which the audience is not used to hearing, right? They're used to hearing Tucker Carlson and Sean Hannity give them the comfort food that they want. And so this week in primetime, you know, the one opportunity perhaps that these uh, the audience would see these arguments made by someone like Adam Schiff, uh, they didn't get to see it because they they, they uh, were inoculated by the Fox audience in primetime. Yeah, the afternoon uh, uh, hearings, uh, sure. trial, trial coverage was shown live on Fox News, yeah. but then Fox would cut away. But I want to point out, too, in, in the afternoon when they had the news anchors on, supposedly, right, they brought out Andy yeah. McCarthy. They didn't bring on Judge Napolitano, the top legal analyst for mm -hmm. years of Fox News, who happens to be very critical of the president's position and wrote this, year, uh, this week that uh, there's enough evidence to support his removal. They did not bring him on. They brought on Andy McCarthy, who was very sympathetic to Trump's mm -hmm. case. And um, if you look you know, even further, uh, Martha McCallum, for instance, this week, she's a top news anchor at Fox. She did a, a, a segment on Hunter Biden's paternity case instead of airing the Senate impeachment trial. Mm. Uh, Brett Baer had on this week Peter Schweitzer, who has pushed discredited theories about uh, Hillary Clinton and, and Joe Biden on to promote his new book. And so it's not just the Fox News opinion hosts who are skewing the news towards Trump. It's also the Fox News you know, anchors, the, the, the people that boast about that give it to you straight, who are also happening to skew the news toward, toward Trump. And they're tilting the playing field in that way. 100%. By the way, you mentioned... We like to do 100%. a... 100%. Kathy. Hundred yeah. percent. We like to do a state media watch every once in a while, and this is kind of what this is. Is a little yes. State media watch, everybody. A little check on what's going on over there, and especially since Shepard Smith left, and now Bill Hemmer is in his place, and Bill Hemmer has had a long career at Fox News. Yeah, he didn't used, used to be as much of a piece of shit as he is now, though. He used to do the morning show, not Fox and Friends, but like I think before next, that, yeah, the, or maybe after that, the next one, yeah, and with Megyn Kelly for a time, I think. Uh, maybe, yeah, I, I don't remember. It's been a long time since we. Watch Fox. Yeah. So these other people like Martha McCallum and Brett Baer, who has spent time at Mar-a-Lago. I don't know about Martha McCallum, but they mentioned her there as is talking about Hunter Biden's paternity suit, whatever. These are supposed to be the serious news figures over right. there. And this is what they're talking about, right? And when you watch the coverage, right, if you were to tune in to Martha McCallum's show, you'll see what what Oliver Darcy here was talking about, right? Where it's it's not to the level of the opinion hosts, but it's still not straight news. Well, oftentimes what's what not what is not asked is very telling about what their editorial bent is. Mm -hmm. That would they'll just let shit fly or the way that a question is asked as a setup to let them go and ramble. Right. And then Megan Kelly has the audacity on Bill Maher two weeks ago to go on and talk about how CNN is so left leaning that it's like watching MSNBC and that they're doing a disservice to the public. Right. Yeah, tell tell our leftist leaning uh, listeners how how leftist CNN is and see how fucking far you get. <laughs> well, it's just that's really what Megyn Kelly and Bill Maher were taking the right, time to talk course, a lot about. Right. Not Fox News and the indoctrination that's incurring over there with millions of people who are not being given even a chance at having accurate information. Yeah. Bill Maher's another one of these fucking dipshits who 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 talks with a label over him like he's a liberal, but he's simpatico with these conservatives like Megyn Kelly and Jordan Peterson and all these other ding-dongs. Get the fuck out of here. 
It's definitely an odd situation well, to to watch. Here, here's the other thing that Fox News was doing during the the, the impeachment uh, proceedings. Is this is a news event? So during the hours that are curated, let's say by Sean Hannity and Tucker Carlson, rather than having their news people, see, this is what CNN did. They brought in the A team to cover all across the board. Late into the night, early in the morning, the A team is there. The journalists. Fox News, during Hannity's hour, they let him put whatever graphics he wants to put up. So while the Democrats are making their case on the Senate floor, rather than have the full screen, it's a little window, little picture-in-picture window of Adam Schiff talking. And then alongside of that is a list of accomplishments, quote-unquote, of Donald Trump. That's how Fox News handled coverage of the impeachment trial of the President of the United States. And they claim they're not state media. They claim they're not in the tank for Donald Trump. Get the fuck out of here. Apparently that's the theme of the episode, Brittany Page. Apparently, for you. So anyway... um. I was going to play Lamar Alexander, but yeah, there's just no fucking need. Or do you think do you think it's worthy of yeah. listening to? Listen, I think it is worthy because it's an example of how this is going to continue to go. Does it wear on you, though, that one of the, I mean, one of the foundational reasons, uh, ways that the framers wrote the Constitution was almost fear of foreign interference. That's true. So, and here it is. Well, if you hooked up with Ukraine to wage war on the United States, as the first senator from Tennessee did, you could be expelled. But this wasn't that. This, this was the kind of, what the president should have done was, if he was upset about Joe Biden and his son and what they were doing in Ukraine, he should have called the attorney general and told him that and let the attorney general handle it the way they always handle cases that involve public things. And why do you think he didn't do that? Maybe he didn't know to do it. I, okay. God I, damn. <laughs> this has been a rationale. Hang on. That I've heard from. No, no, no. This is why I said we needed to play it. No, no. I'm going to pause. I'm pausing for a second. (laughs) Because the question... Maybe he didn't know. Not an excuse anymore that can be made, Lamar Alexander. Donald Trump has been president for three fucking years. Well, that's why Chuck Todd kind of in an exasperated laughter there is like, how how much longer are you guys going to be using this excuse? From a lot of Republicans. Well, boy, he's still new to this. Well, a lot of people come to At Washington- what point, though, is he no longer new to this? Well, the, the bottom line is not an excuse. He shouldn't have done it. Uh, and, and, and I said he shouldn't have done it. And now I think it's up to the American people to say, okay, Good economy, lower taxes, conservative judges, behavior that I might not like, call to Ukraine, weigh that against Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders and pick a president. Goddamn. Let me tell you something. Lamar Alexander, who I'm sure is a regular listener to the program. You think everybody gets that's a joke, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes, they do. This isn't like, oh, he acted inappropriately. This isn't, oh, he had an affair or he uh, he spent some campaign dollars at a, at a regular dinner with his family. This is asking a foreign nation to interfere in our democratic process, our free and fair elections. 
This is this gets to the very center, the very heart of our republic and how we choose those that we give power to. So so he's admitting, oh yeah, terrible. He did some bad shit for sure. Yep. But I'm going to vote to acquit. I'm going to give him another shot to continue to ask foreign nations to interfere in our elections. To use taxpayer dollars as a bargaining chip to help him out personally. This is what passes for for nationalism. This is what passes for making America great again in the Republican Party. Again, get the fuck out of here. Well, keeping with that theme, we should talk about the DNC and the rule change, which has now allowed Michael Bloomberg to the opportunity, the chance to get onto the next debate stage. Just days before the Iowa caucuses, the DNC has upended its primary process by announcing big changes in debate requirements, opening the door for Mike Bloomberg, but angering many of his opponents. For the February 19 debate in Las Vegas, the DNC is doubling the polling threshold, but eliminating the individual donor requirement, which had previously precluded Bloomberg since he's self-funded. As of Friday, the only candidates who have met the threshold for the Nevada primary debate are Joe Biden, Bernie Sanders, and Elizabeth Warren. A DNC spokesperson explained the rules changes, saying this, the donor threshold was appropriate for the opening stages of the race when candidates were building their organizations and there were no metrics available outside of polling to distinguish those making progress from those who weren't. In the latest CNN poll of polls, Bloomberg has risen to fourth place at 8%, passing many others who've been in the race for much longer. This means we may soon see Michael Bloomberg on the debate stage in less than three weeks, despite his skipping the first four states in favor favor of Super Tuesday. Joining me now is Bloomberg campaign manager Kevin Sheiky. Kevin, call me crazy, but is it a certainty that you want to be on that debate stage? And by that, I mean you've been doing just fine ascending by staying out of that fray. Yeah, I think so. Mike has said he'd love to be on the debate stage. I think, uh, listen, he's doing everything he can to get around the country to get his voice out. And debates are a really important part of that. Uh, The the DNC has changed their rules. Uh, Mike is not qualified uh, yet under those rules. We certainly hope and expect that uh, he will. And we hope and expect he'll be on that debate stage. I played a cut from Michael Moore before we went to break. There are many who are complaining. Jeff Weaver, Uh, representing Bernie Sanders, had this to say. We'll put it on the screen. Now, suddenly, because Mr. Bloomberg couldn't satisfy one of the prongs, we see it changed. That's the definition of a rigged system where the rich can buy their way in. Respond to that. You know, it is absurd, and it defies logic. Understand what the DNC did. They didn't let Mike Bloomberg in. They removed the requirement that you raise money. So this is the first time that you can come to the debate when it's not about money, when it's actually about popular support, meaning there are people who say they actually want to vote for you. Also understand what they've done. They've doubled the amount of support you have to have nationwide to do that. 10% is real support. It means one out of 10 Americans, Democrats, want to go to the polls and actually vote for you. The idea that the debate rules would not allow for someone to come uh, who has 10% of the support in the Democratic Party 
is ludicrous. Just a week ago, uh, Elizabeth Warren's team was complaining that Mike Bloomberg was not on the debate stage, and today they're complaining that he might be on the debate stage. Listen, the truth is Mike Bloomberg is running all around this country and raising support, and his voice on that stage is as important as anyone else's. Ugh. Well, we'll get to Tom Steyer, who wasn't mentioned at all in that clip, in a in a bit, because Tom Steyer was someone who tried to get the DNC to change the rules. Uh, that is exactly right. Cory Booker tried to get the DNC to change the rules. Uh, grassroots organizations like the Sunrise Movement, right, related to climate change, and the Poor People's Campaign have tried to push the DNC to have issue-focused debates on the climate crisis and on poverty and that wasn't part of their pre-planned uh objective so they didn't they didn't change the rules for them right those those people don't get rule changes so what is so special about michael bloomberg what's interesting about this is that tom steyer did try to change the rules because he was another billionaire guy and the right. dnc said nah because tom steyer is not a political animal like michael bloomberg is that, that that's my take on this michael bloomberg has run for office he's he's been a, an office holder he ran he was a republican mayor of new york city but he didn't govern like a republican he's also one of the largest funders of democrat causes and party politics in the country well, Elizabeth Warren released a statement on this saying, quote, the DNC didn't change the rules to ensure good, diverse candidates could remain on the debate stage. They shouldn't change the rules to let a billionaire on. Billionaires shouldn't be allowed to play by different rules on yes. the debate stage in our democracy or in our government. And then you know that Julian Castro is now backing Elizabeth Warren. That is right. He said, quote, He's endorsed her. He said, quote, when Cory Booker led an effort to change the debate thresholds, the DNC refused, saying they couldn't benefit any candidate. It seems the only candidate they're willing to benefit is a billionaire who's buying his way into this race. Total mess. So let's hear from one of those billionaires. Tom Steyer on the same fucking program with Michael uh, uh, Smirkanish. Smirkanish. <laughs> Smirkanish? Smirkanish. Not itch. Ish. Shmurkan ish. Correct. I know that. I watch the <laughs> show all the time. Yeah, you do. <laughs> so anyway, he had Tom Steyer on and asked him directly, hey, would you like to respond to Kevin Sheiky, the campaign manager of Bloomberg, with his statement, what he just said about this? Tom, thanks for coming back. Respond to the Bloomberg campaign manager, Kevin Sheiky. Well, Michael, in December, I wrote a letter to the DNC asking them to change their requirements so we could have a more diverse set of candidates on the debate stage. Because it seemed to me it's really important as a diverse party and a diverse nation that that be reflected in the people who are debating. They didn't listen to me. Instead, they changed the requirements to take out the need for grassroots donors so that Michael could be on the stage. So instead of trying to get a more diverse group of candidates, they changed the rules for Michael Bloomberg. And that just seems to me to be wrong. If you're going to change the rules, you should do it in the way that I suggested over a month ago, instead of the way they chose to, to let Mike Bloomberg qualify when he wasn't willing to go out and raise money from Americans. Well, but the further we get into the process, which becomes more important, that you represent a diverse field or that you require market share, because in the end, you want to win. I absolutely agree with that, Michael. But what they did 
was rather than try and get a diverse field so that people could hear the diversity of opinions, so people could make a broader choice, they changed the rules for one guy because he was self-funding and didn't want to go out and get grassroots donors. That's really what happened. And that just seems wrong to me. We're a party that has got to appeal to a diversity of Americans. Absolutely have to. And I think any candidate who wants to win has got to appeal to a diversity of Americans. So, so to do this narrows the field. It really, to me, it's just wrong. And it was a mistake. I don't know why they did it. Here's the rationale that the DNC offered. They say now that the grassroots support is actually captured in real voting, the criteria will no longer require a donor threshold. The donor threshold was appropriate for the opening stages of the race when candidates were building their organizations and there were no metrics available outside of polling to distinguish those making progress from those who weren't. Your thought? I just think it's very suspicious when somebody comes in like Mike Bloomberg, who has no willingness or ability to play by the rules that everybody else plays by, they change the rules. I, I, I think that that, it's crazy. Look, we're, I wanna come out of Iowa with momentum. I wanna to appeal to a diverse group of Americans. That is what every single person who's gonna represent the Democratic Party has to do. We have to beat Trump in the fall. That's really what it comes down to. And whoever's going to lead the Democratic Party has got to take on Mr. Trump on the debate stage and beat him and has got to drag Americans to the polls because it's so important. And that means across the spectrum of Americans. That's really what we're fighting for, Michael. That's really what I'm fighting for. That's what I'm trying to represent. And I think for the DNC to go the other way is just plain wrong. What in the fuck is the DNC doing? Have they learned nothing from the very most recent presidential election when they tried to fuck Bernie Sanders by funneling away from the campaign of Bernie Sanders money and to Hillary Clinton resources and here they are putting their thumb on the motherfucking scale for Mike Bloomberg This makes me understand why people get disheartened, why people check out of the political process. Why people say, ah, fuck, I'm not going to vote. I don't care. It doesn't matter. I don't have a choice in this. This is one of the reasons why Brittany and I had a conversation today. And I was fucking fired up. And I became officially a Democrat the day after Donald Trump was elected. November 9th, 2016, I registered. I changed my party affiliation from no party preference to Democrat. And God damn it, I don't know that I'm going to stick around in this party after Donald Trump leaves. I'm probably going to go back to no party preference because fuck these scoundrels boxing out Cory Booker, a beautiful man, and then changing the rules to benefit the 12th or 8th richest man in the world. Well, he's also, he's decided not to campaign in Iowa. And in other states where where this process is beginning, he's spending 
insane amounts of money. Um, almost two hundred million by the end of twenty nineteen is, is how much he spent. Multiple and, staffers who are paid three hundred seventy five thousand dollars a year that he's writing checks for, and ten million dollars on a Super Bowl ad. Uh, and I th- I think what people are assuming is his plan here is that he's trying to up his poll numbers in time for like later contests in delicate delicate rich areas yeah. and that that his numbers are rising right but he's not campaigning in the way that other candidates are com- campaigning. Yeah. Specifically, I mean, a lot of that was surrounding how the rules were laid out, right? And now the That's rules right. have changed in in the middle. You organize your campaign. You spend your money in a manner... That's based on the rules as stated by your political party. And then they're changing the rules midstream just so they can get this guy on the fucking stage. It's very disappointing. Let me tell you something, Democratic Party. This is going to fucking backfire. You are going to be driving people, voters, Americans into the arms of Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders. Well, and you know what? If he is on the stage... In Nevada. Uh, I hope they eat his fucking lunch. I do. I hope that they just put a spotlight on the fact that he is there, how he got there, and how this is what they've been talking about the entire time. Yeah. Right? I mean, yeah. that, that's what needs to happen. Just just address it directly. That billionaires operate in this country with the endorsement of the power structure by different fucking rules a different set of rules apply if you're worth 35 or 45 billion dollars like michael bloomberg is who's spending hundreds of millions of dollars that is just a drop in the fucking bucket it's like going out to dinner buying a car for a normal family he's spending like a drunken fucking sailor my apologies to drunken fucking sailors. We would love to know what you think about this. 657-464-7609. One more time for good measure. 657-464-7609. Email those voice memos from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. We would love to hear from you helping us in moving the conversation forward taking care of biz an er doctor who confronted mike pence oh i saw this yes i fucking saw this this was a beautiful exchange you'll hear it here in a second what i love so much about this just so that you can can be listening for it is how Mike Pence is utterly incapable of countering the real perspective from someone who's actually on the ground dealing with human issues. He is really like a fucking robot. He he can't even hang here. And it's so apparent. His attempts at trying to get around what is being said here just fail left and right. So we'll go ahead and play it. No, but- let's give a... Let's- Give an idea of what's going to happen here. So 
Mike Pence comes over to a table where three guys are sitting, and this ER doctor brings up the fact that the Trump administration has attacked Medicaid, and particularly Medicaid expansion has... And that there are plans in the works right now to even be more aggressive about it. Right, just like his attacks on food stamps, right, all of this. And so he's addressing that with Mike Pence. And Mike Pence's only defense, really, is to talk about what he did in Indiana. As a governor, years ago, when Donald Trump wasn't president and what is happening now isn't the case. Right. I mean, you you just almost want this doctor to lean in and say, you know you're the vice president of the United (laughs) States, right? Like, I'm not talking about Indiana. I'm talking about the United States, I'm not talking about Indiana half a decade ago. I'm talking about right fucking now in Michigan, dude. Right. So let's listen to how incapable Mike Pence is of having a human conversation. Hey, gentlemen. Hey. Hey, how you doing? Dr. Rob Davidson, how you doing? Hey, Rob. Good to meet you. Hi there. I'm Joel. Joel. So I'm. Nice to meet you, Mr. President. I'm an emergency doctor. I'm worried about the plans they talked about last week of maybe cutting Medicare and then the rollout today of cutting Medicaid. I work in a. I work in one of, one of the poorest counties in Michigan and my patients depend on expanded Medicaid. So how is that going to affect my patients? Yeah. Uh. uh Medicaid, yeah. The uh, the uh, the head of uh, CMS announced the uh, the plan to let states file for waivers so they could get block grants. So that would essentially cut the amount of money going to the states. So that would cut federal Medicaid funding. Is that a good idea? Uh, actually, uh, when I was governor of Indiana, we got a, a waiver from the Obama administration that actually allowed us to expand Medicaid coverage in the states. Right, but now they're but talking they about it. scaling back the Medicaid expansion that they that we got with the Affordable Care Act, and that 680,000 Michiganders, 600,000 in Iowa, I mean, a lot of people got help. We expanded coverage in Indiana. With right, but I'm just talking about the president and your administration right now. What yeah. they're doing right. right now, they're cutting those, Medicaid those are waivers for states that didn't take. Expansion no, it's for people who took expansion money too. I mean, your administration just announced this; they rolled it out today, and it's going to affect sure, you've got a whole group of millions of people have. across the country cutting Medicaid. Right. I mean, is that a good idea or well, is that I, a bad idea? I think idea? you're oversimplifying. Well, I think it comes down to that for the people I take care of all the time. I mean, people I see in the emergency department that can't get primary care doctors. You know, once they got Medicaid, they could get primary care doctors. They stay out of the ER. They actually work more. They actually contributed to our community more. Now, if a couple of people sorry you don't get your health care, I mean, that's going to be a real negative in their lives. Yeah. Well, if you check out what we did when I was governor of Indiana, healthy Indiana. Ah, uh, fuck. Consumer directed yeah. 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 ever. We expanded coverage and used consumer directed health care. People were able to take more ownership of their own health care and expand it. I mean, I think if, if the Trump administration and you want to expand Medicaid, it'd be great. But the problem is well, they're contracting Medicaid. It's better than proving. I think Medicaid, you know, is a lot of problems. It's been a godsend to the patients I serve in one of the poorest counties in the state of Michigan. And I know people here who work in Des Moines, friends of mine who work in the ERC in Des Moines, will tell you Medicaid is a godsend. Well, it's their lifeline. People with diabetes who can't afford insulin. I think the, our vision crisis. is for state-based innovation and reform to be able to well, improve. Reform and innovation in the setting of cuts well. equals less people with health care. Yeah. Uh, I respectfully disagree. Okay. Okay. Well, I encourage you to, to make sure that we don't cut those folks off of Medicaid because they need it. Okay? Uh, thanks for your uh, okay. care. All right. All right. Thanks. Really, thanks for talking. 
So hopefully you weren't distracted there at the end by Todd Rundgren singing to you in in the background there. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah. So <laughs> I I just I loved this because number one, it was respectful in a way that Mike Pence didn't feel threatened, right? So he stood there longer than he might have had yeah, this been three more... fucking minutes, two minutes and fifty five seconds that clip was right, and had this been more combative. During this exchange, he probably would have walked away sooner. Moved on, yeah. Right. And listen, he's probably not going to take this to heart. He's going to move along. This isn't going to stick with him. And that's very unfortunate. But there's a higher likelihood that some of it will because of the way that this guy handled the situation by focusing on his patients, right? This wasn't about him. This yeah. is about him and this his position. He's a doctor. He's a rich guy. He, it's his position of power that he's in and using it to speak on behalf of the people who do not have the privilege to be yeah. where he is and to be able to use his voice in that way is so powerful. And I, I, I'm just so happy that he took the stand that he did here. It, it is very telling, though. If you notice, this is just another example, maybe the greatest example in recent time of how the, the the Republican Party dismisses expertise. Yes, absolutely. Because Mike Pence says, I just want to respectively, respectively disagree with you. He's the fucking expert in the field guy. It doesn't right. matter this person who fucking says that evolution isn't real. Who cares what you fucking say, you moron? Right. You goddamn robot. You Trump bootlicking freak. Right. He's not taking that opportunity to learn from someone who's actually in the field, who has boots on the ground, who knows exactly how people are being yes. affected by these policies. He's not taking that opportunity to be changed or molded by that at all. And that's really, again, a characteristic that we should be rewarding in, for people that are in positions of power. We should be encouraging them to to take that position right you would expect a vice president to say not i respectfully uh dis disagree with you right doc right you would want him to say huh tell me more about that right right you're in an er every single day you deal with these americans tell me more about your experience right. tell me more about your expertise in this area instead it's, uh, I got to get the fuck out of here. I'm getting fucking shown up here. I respectfully disagree. Also, look how quick he is to distance himself from the Trump administration and Trump administration policies to where he's talking about what he did as Indiana governor rather than what the administration that he's a part of is doing now. Right, right. It's such a strange place that he went to. Yeah. What's well, his administration? It's the Trump-Pence administration. He's not like a, a distant player. He, mm -hmm. He's the vice president of the United States of America. Right. And then he tries to say, well, Medicaid has a lot of problems, right? This Am vague, I right? This vague phrase. And the doctor's like, actually, it's a lifesaver for many of my patients. Yeah. Right. It gives them access to needed medical care that they wouldn't have otherwise. Good for that guy. Absolutely. Good for good that for, doctor. Absolutely. Fucking taking care of biz, Brittany Page. Yes. Powerful. Yes. You made a good choice there is what I'm saying. Thank you. I appreciate that. I had a good time with this episode, Brittany Page. I did too. It feels good to be back. We were bummed that we were having all those technical issues with, with the laptop. Um, this also means 
Jesse, that this show really wouldn't exist without you and your expertise. We just want to make sure that you know that because <laughs> wow, because without this you, is fucking outrageous. Without your now. computer, without your setup, there's huh? there's no way we're using mine to do that, right? We couldn't just oh well, let's just use your laptop. That's not how that works. No, so of course. So we're well, happy even, even getting this set up and. The, I use this certain program and I have to download a bunch of other programs. Anyway, it's a fucking shit show and I'm a dummy. Well, you're not, and you got it figured out, and you're a champion, and wow, we are not what I we are all better for having you exist in the world. So thank you, sir. Wow, mm-hmm. you're not going to respectfully disagree with me, is what you're saying? Not right now, because we're trying to wrap up the show. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we are going to wrap up the show. We love you guys. We appreciate you. Listen, we'd love to hear what you have to say about these topics and any others that are on your mind. We want to hear comment. We want to hear questions. We want to hear disagreements. If you're a Bloomberg supporter, we'd love to hear from you about him lobbying and having the rules changed behind the scenes so he could appear on the debate stage. We'd love it. We'd love that. 657-464-7609. Of course, you can always email a voice memo or just a regular old email from your smartphone to idoubtit at dollamore.com. Listen, we love you guys. We appreciate your loyalty and your listenership and your support helping produce this program on Patreon. Go to dollamore.com slash Patreon if you're in a position to help us out. Thank you. We'll see you next time. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. Hey, bitch! An elbow right in the throat. That, that did not happen. <laughs> uh. <laughs>